Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Tara Schuster is the author of Glow in the Effing Dark, Simple Practices to Heal Your Soul from Someone Who Learned the Hard Way. Tara is an accomplished entertainment executive turned mental health advocate and best-selling author. She's the author of the runaway hit, By Yourself, The Effing Lilies, which was a finalist for Goodreads' Best Nonfiction Book of 2020. It was selected by Cosmopolitan, Real Simple, Goop, Publishers Weekly, and many more as one of the best books of the year on mental health and self-care. Previously, Tara served as Vice President of Talent and Development at Comedy Central, where she was the executive in charge of such critically acclaimed shows as the Emmy and Peabody Award-winning Key and Peele. She has contributed to InStyle, The New Yorker, and Forbes, among others. She lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Tara. <laughs> Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Glow in the Epic Dark. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Excited to see you. Excited to do excited, this. Excited to see you too. And I'm excited for our upcoming event together finally after our last one was canceled in LA due to the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Years yeah. later, here we go. 
due to that little thing, little talked about uh, pandemic. Yeah, I'm really excited about our event. I really want to give people journaling tools. Like in no way is it a reading. It's like, okay, you're interested. Let's do this. <laughs> like, oh God, I love that. <laughs> you have this really rare ability to make the most horrific things sound funny and to be hopeful in like the hardest of times. You're so good at that. Thank you. You know, every time I read something you write, I'm like, really that too? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you just like keep opening the door into yourself wider and wider with each book, which I love because it's such an act of generosity to sort of share yourself like that, but also to inspire others to like get over whatever it is. And I feel like one of the main takeaways from this book at least is you can all just like be busy and do your stuff and not deal with what's underneath but like you're not getting over it you know no. if you're not dealing with this it's coming out your ears you know <laughs> and even even worse if you're not dealing with it the people who love you yes. are yeah there's there's no way around that you know and i used to think for a long time that if i really dug deep it would like ruin my life and be so overwhelming and who has time for that and actually i have a bunch of errands to run and um, and it didn't really become so urgent until I realized, wait a minute, the way I'm treating my family, my friends, like this isn't about me. This is about my community that I really started to change. Oh my gosh. Well, let's back up a second. So you start this book off on the heels of being laid off from Comedy Central, which was like the crux of your entire identity for like a decade. Yes. you, You sort of like hit bottom. Start us off there and say what that felt like and all of that. Yeah. So I was at Comedy Central for a third of my life. It was super important to me because it was a substitute for my family. You know, I had grown up in a mess wreck disaster where things came to die. I was super neglectful, psychologically abusive. But then I found (laughs) Comedy Central and it was glamorous. And Jordan Peele and I hung out and it was like this magic trick to distract, to be like, look over here at all these glammy Hollywood things. Don't look over here at this quarter century of complex trauma. And the job made me feel like less of a weirdo too, because I felt like nobody could relate to me, mostly because nobody talked about these quote unquote odd family dynamics. I didn't have anyone in my life reflecting to me that they had anything similar So in some ways, the job at Comedy Central was a screw you to everyone else. Like, oh yeah, but I made it. Like I made it in this very public way. And so when I was unceremoniously laid off (laughs) at the beginning of the pandemic, I just went into identity freefall. You know, at that point, people were introducing me to Tara Schuster, Comedy Central, like it was my married last name. And with an absence of being defined by other people, I really did not know who I was. And I was living alone. It was the pandemic. I had no family. You know, I know we all had it bad in different ways. You know, if you were stuck with your whole family at home, not great. But if you were stuck alone, alone, alone with just your thoughts, no job and no trauma, that wasn't great either. And so instead of, you know, calming down, for one minute and saying, I have savings. My life is not in immediate danger. Let me reflect. I was like, we are going to push through this. Like, let's immediately find new meaning. I'm going to find a big thing and everybody's going to think I'm so cool because I did this thing. So it was the 2020 election. And I just Googled, how can I help in the 2020 election? One of the first search results was you can help register voters in Arizona. And truly just like that, 
I picked up my Vitamix, <laughs> picked up a bag of books I would never read, stuffed them in my Prius of doom and set off on the road. And on the road, unfortunately, I had one of the worst dissociative episodes of my whole life. It was dangerous. I felt completely out of control of my body. I was speeding at 95, which I'm not a good enough driver to be driving that fast. My hands were on the steering wheel and I knew they were mine. Like I knew they were my hands, but they looked like they were completely detached from my body. And I just realized this is really unsafe. I, I, I can't keep going. I can't keep overwhelming. I can't keep achieving my way through life. I've got to pull over. And that was one of the very first times in my life where I pulled over, stopped. And because I was in the Mojave Desert driving to Arizona, and because LA is so light polluted, um, when I looked up, it looked like I was in a star field, you know, that I was in this like celestial body. And I just wondered, looking up at these stars, that we know how stars come together. It's masses of dust and debris and they get pushed and they get put under pressure and then they go nuclear in the in the center and that's how they shine and i just thought man those stars shine in the bleakest of circumstances consistently they didn't have it the best they actually went through a lot of bs to become who they are so i just wonder can i glow like that is there a way for me to find safety within myself so that when everything is taken away, I'm not just lost at sea. And that's the question of this book is, is there an essential self? If there is an essential self, has it been so messed up that you can't trust it? Because I didn't trust anything inside of me. And could I find that? Could I cultivate it? And that's that's where we start with Glow in the Effing Dark. Oh my gosh, that is just so amazing. You know, one of your reflections on sort of how you've become the way you were um, when you do your deep dive is is your relationship to fear and putting yourself in harmful situations. And I found that super interesting too, how because parents are supposed to keep you safe and your parents didn't keep you safe at all. In fact, we're priming you to feel threatened at every opportunity. You just didn't have that sensation. And so when you end up in the desert with, or the, the forest, the desert, where I, the mountains. Uh, Bryce Canyon. Yeah. Canyon, Canyon, right, right, right. That's the word with like these like cult guys and like whatever. <laughs> You're like, okay, why didn't I leave? I don't know because I just didn't sense fear. And I feel like there is that commonality when you're like, when you find out about people who do all these like terrifying things, like how can they do that? Like, is it this? Is it, I don't know. Anyway, talk about that. And how do you, how are you on that scale now that you've worked through even more stuff? Yeah. It's so interesting. So forever, I, I solo travel a lot to like the Brazilian rainforest, to see Iguazu, to slot canyons in Utah. And my friends always say, wow, you're so brave. And that never made sense to me. Because I didn't feel brave. It just felt like the thing to do, you know? So, so I always like had pinned that in my mind, huh? It's weird that people tell me that this is somehow a whole thing. I don't see it that way. And I was actually camping alone in Zion, which I don't want to get too much credit. Like I had a full size inflatable queen mattress. Like, <laughs> you know, this wasn't like I was really roughing it, but I was alone. And it never occurred to me, oh, I'm a young woman in the middle of this campsite with literally nothing to protect myself. 
cool, good idea. But I decided I, I very quickly set fire to my stove, mostly because I had no experience. And so I just realized, okay, this is going to be a takeout camping situation. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a daily walk into I'm town. Call Postmates to deliver. Yes, to my yes, exactly. And so I went to this cafe, ordered a burrito, was just eavesdropping. I'm a big eavesdropper. If you're sitting next to me, like, good luck. I'm listening to everything you're saying. And this father was explaining to his children, he was saying, you know, we're going to go canyoneering tomorrow. And I've never been canyoneering. I don't know what to expect. So I've hired a guide. So even when you feel scared, you will be safe. We will be looking out for you. This guy has done it a million times. And it was like my brain exploded, melted, uh, every type of shockwave because never in my life had my parents told me that I was safe, would be protected, and that I wasn't doomed. It was quite the opposite. It was, if you go to the bathroom in this restaurant, you might be raped or kidnapped. And in that moment, I realized, wow, the job of a parent probably is to provide safety. And that might account for why I do these things that are actually unsafe without thinking about them. And I walk through the world feeling that it's normal for your body to be 10 out of 10 stressed and worried that somebody is going to take you from the street. I, I was just always worried about my physical safety, but I thought it was normal. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I can't believe the way your parents treated you. I know you've you've come to this resolution with your dad and that was also like just really meaningful and like to watch you go through that, like grow with you and like, oh my gosh, like the goodness of your heart to like forgive and like how to get pushed to the point where you had to stop talking. I mean, it was really, I don't know, it's really powerful stuff. But just the idea that they could be so inconsistent and harmful and all of it. And even just watching the scenes with him where he would like switch on a dime like that and then like pretend like nothing happened. And yeah, I don't know. it's just, it's really, really tough. It was a strange, you know, now how I look at it is obviously something happened to my parents. Now that I'm an adult and I take care of my best friend's three kids. She had three kids under three during the pandemic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she's my rock. She's my stability. For the first time in our 15-year friendship, she called me and was like, dude, I need you to come over. Like, I, I am outnumbered and I really need help. And it's such a blessing when a friend asks you for help because you feel needed. I felt like, oh my God, yay. Yep. Finally, I can like somewhat pay the debt of the wild amount of care she has given me. And one thing I did um, with her oldest daughter, Maya, is I would think of Maya in situations I had been in. So think of Maya pinned to the floor, her body being examined. What would adult me do? Adult me would start screaming, defend her, call yeah. the police. Yeah. You know, what would I do if someone told Maya she couldn't cry, she wasn't allowed to have feelings, shot down her ideas? That was a big thing I actually didn't write about. Any idea I had, I was told was terrible or useless or literally was ignored. Like it, like I didn't say it. So I, I felt like I didn't exist. How? I, mean, I don't even know how you get through that. Well, and then, so I'd look at Maya 
And I'd see, oh, that is so weird. No healthy adult would treat a child this way. You would listen, you would comfort, you would reflect back to them that they are present, that you see them as an autonomous being. And so a lot of where my compassion for my parents come from is for them to hurt me to that extent. How hurt must they have been? To live in that reality they were living in must have been painful. Like I know how painful it was for me. How how painful was it for them? And so, you know, I mean, and I didn't come to forgiving them lightly. You know, my dad, I didn't talk to for two years of the pandemic. My mom, I haven't talked to for something like 15 or 17 years with a lot of boundaries before I've come to this place. But I now sort of recognize however much I have suffered, they probably suffered a lot more. And it doesn't excuse how they treated me. But at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not to blame for how they treated me, but it is my responsibility now to take care of this and to move through it. No one else is going to do that work for me. So I've just sort of accepted it all. It all happened. I accept it. And I, I have to work through it if I don't want to be beholden to the past, if I want any emotional freedom. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. You're like the most self-actualized person I've <laughs> ever met. <laughs> I swear. No, don't worry. I uh, basically had a mental breakdown two weeks ago. I like crying to my editor about how my life was like, everything's ruined. But releasing a book is a weird, I'm sure you know, it's just a weird thing. Um, so I, de- I definitely have my moments. The difference now, though, is I know it. Like, I can't always escape it in the moment. I can't always navigate my way out. But pretty quickly, I'm like, wow, I'm really sorry. I messed up there. And maybe we can work together on figuring out how I could be a better communicator I'm not defensive anymore. Like it doesn't bother me if someone has feedback for me. I'm just like, oh, cool. Another growth opportunity. Like don't love that I have it, but I can accept it. You know? 
Wait, why were you breaking down two weeks ago? You know, the pressure when I when my first book came out, truly nobody knew who I was. I was an executive at Comedy Central. Nobody thought of me as a creative person. There were no expectations. We all thought the book would do like meh. And then I'd go, you know, back to being an executive. And quite the opposite happened. And it was actually perfect timing when I was laid off because it was the beginning of promotion for Lily's. Had I not had that, things would have been really bad. But I was able to quickly pivot and work on this thing that I loved, which was writing. And so I just think this time around, there are so many more expectations, particularly for my readers. You know, I love my readers. And sometimes I feel weird telling them how much I love them, except I'm like, there is such a lack of love in the world. Why would I be shy about telling anybody how much I see them, feel them, want to be there for them. Like F that I want to be there with people and I really want to see them. And so I really want them to like the book. You know, I, I hadn't really ever thought about it before this moment where it's come out, but I wrote it for them. And so I, I just want to do them proud. I want this to be helpful. And that pressure didn't exist the first time around. Well, first of all, I bet you're going to get a lot of new readers as well because now it's a totally different market and you're coming out not just marketing to the same people. So you're not just talking to your readers. It's great that you love them, but I think this book is great. I think this is a standalone. You don't have to have read the first book. You you can just dip into this and it builds on some of the themes, but it's different. You know, it's, it's different and you still have your awesome voice and you're like, capital letters thing and you know, <laughs> your funny jokes sprinkled throughout. Like you had some joke about like, I'm not going to pay full price for a crop top because it's like yeah. a third of the material. <laughs> so funny. I mean, I can't stop thinking about that. I'm th- as I like, you know, fold my daughter's crop tops and I'm like, yeah, so true. Like it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. It's like buying half a bikini or something. Yeah. But anyway, but I don't know. I think this is even more personal and even more powerful. I don't know. Thank you. I, yeah. I loved the first book, but I I, yeah. I don't know. The humor offsets the pain enough, you know? Yeah. I do think it's a much deeper book. Yeah. You know, it really like, um, I'm talking about much darker things like suicidal ideation, but I'm trying to bring levity to it, to something you think there could not, there could not possibly be levity to this, except there is. And if we get so overburdened by how hard things are, it makes it very difficult to talk about, to make changes with. And um, Lori Gottlieb, she blurbed this book. And one of the, first off, I'm obsessed with therapists. Like, (laughs) oh my God, they are doing God's work. They are so smart. She in particular is just so brilliant and insightful. And one of the things she said to me was, this is a standalone book. Like, it's not like you're rehashing anything. It's like a completely different journey. And when she said that to me, I was like, okay, well, Lori doesn't suffer fools lightly. And she's (laughs) very smart. So, you know, and the fact that she, a legit mental health professional, sees in this book actual strategies, you know, and that I can bring a little comedy to strategies. I feel really good about that. So I guess it took her saying it, not me, but that's fine. Well, it's both of you. (laughs) No, I'm totally kidding. No, no, seriously though, right? Like, But but it's true. She's right. No, she's right. (laughs) When you have people who you respect tell you these things. I'm just kidding. Like, you know, she's, she's, yes, it's awesome. It is deeper and darker, but also brighter. Right. Isn't that the whole point? Right. Yeah. 
you can find lightness. Like it's even when things are dark, it's not like the lightness went away. It could be obscured. You know, one of the central metaphors of the book is that we are made of stardust. And I think that's really important because, well, first off, it's just true. The carbon in your muscles, the iron in your blood, literally come from stars. This isn't some cutesy thing I wrote on a mug, you know, and sold on Etsy. This is just science. And when I think about that, I think, well, nobody looks at the stars and says, they have moral failings and they didn't get their to-do list done and they have too many errands and they didn't run them, you know? We generally accept that stars are awesome. So if you can't think of yourself as awesome or inherently good or that your central self has any worth or value, you don't need to think about it. All you need to remember is I am made of stars. Just that framing alone has up-leveled my whole life. When I, I really like sit and think about myself being full of stardust and it's really hard to pick yourself apart, to be hypercritical and to be hypercritical of others because you recognize they too are made of stardust and stardust is a miracle. So a lot of this is actually just reminding myself of the truth. That's not something that had to be made up. That was just something that had to be internalized and remembered that we all really do have our own light within us. And it's about removing what obscures us, the traumas, the problems, the expectations, the obligations. It's about clearing the way so that you can shine the way you were made to. Your book is like a big windshield wiper. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> that I use that sometimes. It's just like, let's move that fog away, Yeah, you know? and. It's funny. I feel like there's a backlash to saying that anybody needs to fix themselves. And I have a backlash to the backlash, which is, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, like we obviously like look at this world, obviously get damaged by things that are so beyond our control. And that doesn't make us bad. That's the key. You could be damaged and still an awesome soul at the bottom of that damage but I'm not quite sure why it's helpful not to admit that things might have happened to your outer shells, you know, things worthy of being taken care of. Because I, I, I find it so cheesy when people say, you are inherently good, but then don't tell me anything about why that is, mm -hmm. you know? So the star, the star metaphor, knowing that I am good, like physically, it's just true and knowing that it is okay that my outside shells were damaged, the stardust can never be. The stardust is what can never, ever be messed with. It's there. It's just fixing and healing what's on top of that. Very powerful. It's really, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's, and it's yeah. amazing you've been able to not only clear your own stuff out of the way, but to help so many other people clear theirs out. I mean, that's... So generous of you. It's just so generous yeah. and really awesome. Yeah. It's funny. I'm, PSP, I'm sure you know this. People ask me all the time, was it cathartic writing the book? Like, did it feel like a form of therapy? And the answer to that would be no, because in order to write these scenes in a narrative, if you haven't read my work, it's never prescriptive. It's never like coming to you from on high. I try to paint a narrative, like as if it were fiction, here's the scene. I want you to be in it. I want you to feel those emotions, which means I have to revisit my own traumas 
over and over and over again in the editing process. And it never gets better. It never gets easier. It's always very difficult. And I would say that by putting out in the world, it's dissipated. I I feel like every reader now carries a little piece of my burden and I carry a little of theirs because they tell me, oh, I really relate. That sounded like you were in my brain. How did you know that about me? And so that's how I found it to be very cathartic is that we're all spreading this burden of the worst things that ever happened to us so that none of us have to just shoulder it alone. Uh Have you met David Ambrose in LA, by the way? No, but that name is super familiar. You have, I'm going to introduce you on email after this because he um, grew up in the foster care system and had a really horrific childhood with his siblings and, and everything, but wrote about it in a book and he's funny and charming and like works at Disney. And, you know, he's like, I just feel like you guys would really get along and have a lot to catch up on. I would love to meet him. And he, the foster care system is so dismal. Of all of the embarrassing things in America, that's like top two, you know, hundreds of thousands of children suffering with no advocates at all. I'd really love to meet him and, and hear more about that. Yeah. This book is called A Place Called Home. Mm. All right. I'll put you in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. This is so great. Thanks yeah. for your book. I, I read it at like a perfect time for me personally, for whatever mm. reasons. But anyway, thank you. And do not worry about it coming out. I'm <laughs> not worried at all on your behalf, but I thank you. wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you do advocating for writers. During the pandemic, you were like the lifeline for <laughs> Truly for anyone who had, a, myself included, for anyone who had a book coming out when everything was getting canceled and you nobody knew what to do, you were like, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to be doing some lives. We're going to be doing more podcasts. We're going to be doing events. So I really admire the way you really stepped in there for, for writers. Thank you. Thanks. I don't know. I didn't know what else to do. I was like, yeah. I've got to have some purpose here. <laughs> the world is like falling Yeah, apart, right. You know, like, right. let me focus on something. I'll see you at our event. Yes. Thank okay. you, Zibi. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.